Hey, welcome back to Hunting Ain't Easy. This is Mike Costello, and uh, now that we're about a week into the A-Zone deer season, I guess I need to reiterate that uh, I've been hunting for four years now. This is my fifth season coming up, and I still have not killed a buck. <laughs> my walk of shame. Um, it's going to happen this year, though. Uh, my season starts next month with the uh, with the D-Zone archery opener. And so I'm looking forward to that, getting some more scouting in, trying to get more fitness training in. So I'm ready to go into the backcountry with, with a heavy pack and, and come out with an even heavier pack after a few days back there. But uh, any of you that are out there hunting A-Zone, hope you're staying cool and having some success. Uh, this podcast coming up is the eighth episode. I think you'll, when you listen into it, you'll hear me say something about it being our seventh episode, but I'm... Uh, I'm already off track on the count. Um, th we're going into our eighth episode, and I've got a really fascinating guest this time. Um, we probably could have talked for several hours if we'd gone down all the various uh, paths that are available to us in terms of talking about deer, bear, um, my guest's experience. He's a professional biologist, uh, educated in wildlife biology and he works in the field currently and so he he brings a level of expertise that is is very unique uh he's an ungulate specialist which means he focuses on uh deer and elk uh for one of the the native american tribes up in the north end of the state of california but uh we talked about bears mostly and tracking of bears and so i think he brings a level of uh, kind of a, a he brings a, a method of hunting that most of us are not doing but that we can definitely learn a lot from and so i'm gonna step back now and we'll dive into episode eight of hunting ain't easy with preston taylor hey everybody welcome back to hunting ain't easy uh, I'm here with another episode of the uh, Black Bear series, and the first three episodes have been really well received. We're loving the feedback and the questions and the passion that's starting to show up where people are reaching out to me, you know, saying that, that they're, they're going to go out and uh, they've got a bear tag in, their, in hand, and they're going to focus on intentionally doing some bear hunting this year. It's not just going to be incidental to, to being in the woods looking for deer, but they're going to go out and... Uh, into the woods of California and, and try to try to look for some bear and literally track them down, which is good because uh, for this podcast, I'm, I'm really excited to have Preston Taylor on the line. Um, Preston was introduced to me through the magic of social media. Um, uh, somebody on Instagram reached out after hearing the first couple of podcasts and said, hey, you need to talk to this guy. Uh, Preston Taylor's one of the best in, 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 in the field in terms of tracking and, and finding bears. And he just wrote a book about it. And um, I thought I was up to speed on, on what books were out there, but clearly this is a brand new one. And so I've got in front of me the book Tracking the American Black Bear by Preston Taylor. And uh, I've cracked the spine on it, so I'm, I'm getting into it, and I'm really looking forward to learning from Preston this evening as well. So Preston, I want to kick it over to you, and um, just would love to get a little bit of your background about uh, hunting, tracking, bears, you know, what, what brings us to this point where you, you've written a book about uh, tracking black bears? 
Yeah, sounds good, Mike. Um, I'm honored to be here, and it's a real pleasure to speak with you. Uh, let's see. So I've I've been hunting for um, I think 13 years. Uh, I started hunting when I moved to California. So gr- I grew up in New England. Um, I actually grew up in the middle of the city in Boston. But my dad, uh, he grew up in the country and still liked, you know, to, to fish and dig clams and go crabbing and stuff like that. And so he would do some of that stuff for me in the summers. And I think that kind of hibernated in, until um, I started to have some, you know, big mountain and, and wilderness experiences in the West when I was a teenager. Nice. And eventually um, decided that I wanted to move, move out West um, and start going to school for, uh, wildlife, um, conservation work. And when I, when I moved out West to go to school, uh, that's also when I started, um, hunting and that happened to be in California. And so, so most of my, most of my hunting has taken place here in the state. I have gone to a few other States. Um, but a lot of the hunting I've done has been here and kind of along the, the same time frame. you know, I went to those wilderness experiences in Utah and Idaho when I was a teenager. So in the um, mid and late nineties, I was introduced to, um, you know, primitive skills and, and um, orienting with map and compass and learning the stars and, and things like that. And so kind of since that timeframe and and 2000, uh, I've been focused on learning about wildlife um, Mm -hmm. and the main you know, method that I use to interact with animals is by following their, um, their trails to, to catch up to them or interpreting their sign and, and sitting around and waiting for them to come there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so kind of along, along the same time period that I was hunting, uh, I was learning how to track animals as well. And, and, um, between those two avenues and, uh, school, my undergraduate honors thesis was on black bear marking behavior um, and then the cyber tracker certifications, I think all that kind of funneled into, um, my passion for, for tracking black bears and interacting with them. And I, I live in a place where there's a lot of bears and, yeah. uh, it, I think the book kind of, um, emerged from all of those different avenues, you know, and, so, and I really, you know, I, I, I wrote the book, uh, just to share, hopefully to share, um, some neat and inspiring stories, um, and to hopefully inspire hunters to, uh, push themselves and and learn more about, um, bears or or whatever they're hunting, you know, as well as, um, you know, I wrote it for the non-hunting, um, public as well, because there's a lot of naturalists and biologists and trackers who don't hunt, but, um, want to learn more about animals, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, And that's, I think that's, um, everybody that goes out into the woods, it's when you get to see a wild animal, it is, it's kind of a magical moment. Um, yeah, it is. And so, and, 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 and I think that's why, you know, though we are as hunters, we are looking to harvest, you know, kill harvest and consume <laughs> said animal. Um, yep. 90% of it, 95, heck for me, a hundred percent of it in terms of deer hunting, the magical moment <laughs> is just being able to see them, you know, and, and just being yeah, out there yeah. and solving that puzzle of learning, learning where they're going to be. And, and it's great to bump into something with, 
with by luck, but it's even better to be able to say, I solved this equation and I got myself to a point where the animal would be, and I thought it would be there and boom, there it is. Um, Mm -hmm. so you, so you started hunting. I mean, it's not like you grew up, you know, in the woods, you know, barefoot loincloth and, and, and track trailing (laughs) animals, you know, (laughs) I mean, you started, you started relatively late. You started relatively late um, compared to some folks. Yeah, I was, I was in my, um, mid twenties. I think I was 24, 25 when I started hunting, you know, I, I went through hunter ed uh-huh. when I was, uh, 20, when I was back in, in Vermont. Um, and I was always interested in hunting and, um, <clears throat> uh, but no, I didn't grow up <laughs> in a hunting family or, or with a whole bunch of hunting mentors. Um, and I, like I still feel like I have a lot to learn to, and to figure out. And, um, pretty much my approach to the, to hunting, is, um, is, can be summed up from this great quote by Richard Nelson, um, who spent time with the Koyukin folks in Alaska. And this elder told Richard Nelson that every animal knows way more than you ever will. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of my approach to the woods is I, I'm just, uh, um, you know, and, and it, uh, a part-time predator out there amidst these full-time, you know, wild animals. Right. And, um, I'd, I'd like to learn as much as I can, and, and I love interacting with, with wild animals, and, and, you know, that's why I'm out there, really. Yeah, that's neat. So, yeah, and I think I think a lot of people that do get into hunting, especially when they're new, that it, there's this thought that, okay, this, this year I'm going to hunt, I'm going to go out and get some deer or some bear, and and really we are students the entire time and it takes a long time just to see like for our eyes to know what to even look at, like for eyes to see something in our brain, to know what it's, what it's viewing and how to process Mm -hmm. that. And I Mm kind of feel like you, I kind of see this two ways. Part of me says, if you go to a new hunter and you say, I'm going to have you focus on tracking you're going to learn to track these animals down, uh, the new hunter, and then you're going to take them with a traditional bow, which is a whole nother topic. But you're going to, I think <laughs> a new hunter would say, you're making me start with the most difficult process. But then I'm wondering if from right. your view, from your view and from a tracking view, the reality is like this footprint is the best evidence I have of an animal being nearby so why wouldn't i follow it yeah yeah those are those are um good points i mean definitely it 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 brings up a good point do you you start with something that's very challenging or or do you start yeah immersing yourself into you know their world because Mm -hmm. for me you know i'm I'm interested in engaging in the most human experience that, that I can. You know, there, there's only a few things that have been going on, no matter what you believe, for how long this earth has been around. Um, <laughs> yep. One organism has been eating another, and we've been breeding, right? I mean, those are the two things that have been happening for as long as there's been life. And, <laughs> and so, you know, for me, I, I subscribe to... Um, most of the model of evolution and, and our species, the homo sapiens evolved, um, with hunting as a primary activity, you know, and, and with, and specifically with, with tracking 
as a method to hunt animals. And so I'm really interested in the most human experience that I can have. So, so I, you know, I, I don't use a lot of technology, um, Mm -hmm. not because I think I'm on some kind of high horse or something. It, it, um, it means that I don't shoot a lot of animals, you know, but, but I, I really, I really am looking for a certain kind of experience. And so, yeah, to get on, um, a fresh track when the substrate, um, is good for it, it, Mm. it's going to take you to the animal. I mean, that, that is what it will do if you can, if you can stay on it. And so for me as a beginner, when I was learning how to hunt, I was in a location with really good tracking substrate and I was hunting with, um, yeah, with self bows, with wooden, you know, traditional archery equipment. And so since both of those methods are very difficult, I hunted a lot, you know, like (laughs) when I, when I went rifle hunting, my very first day rifle hunting, JR and I went out and, and we shot a buck and then, um, you know, I hunted the rest of that season and I didn't get, get a shot with my rifle. I missed one. And then the next season opening day with my rifle, I shot a buck and, but then the, the next season I bought an archery only tag and I hunted and the place where I was, it was like a, a three month season. And so I hunted, I was hunting like five days a week and, and just having all kinds of encounters with deer yeah. really close to them. I mi- I shot arrows over the backs of a lot of does cause it was either sex tag. Okay. Um, I, I spooked a lot of animals. I, I followed hundreds of deer trails, um, sometimes catching up to them, sometimes not, but because of those limitations, it, re- it required that I learn more about the, the animal and about the hunt, you know? Yeah. And and so I think that really, it was kind of like, um, what do they call it? Like immersion by fire or, or initiation mm-hmm. through fire or something, right? Like, you know, I just had to keep trying and keep figuring it out and keep making mistakes. And, and here I am today. I still feel like I make mistakes. <laughs> sure. But you do get close. Yeah. <laughs> you do get close. Oh yeah. Oh man. I get, I get close to animals all the time. Um, really close to them, you know, within 10 yards frequently that doesn't mean i i get a shot you know very often and and even when i do take the shots sometimes i miss but um yeah yeah i get close to animals all the time even when it's not hunting season you know i'm out sure. there for work and for fun uh to interact and get close to wildlife yeah well and that's that's something i was just thinking is this is something that you can do and really you need to do and i think all of hunting like whatever type of hunting you do you need to be out there i need to be out there working on it heck, you know, nine, 10 months of the year, because if I rely on the skills that I can hone and the knowledge I can gain during the five weeks of general season, it's going to take me decades to accumulate the, the book, you know, of, of information that I need to refer to, to actually be successful on a regular basis, it seems like. So, tracking animals why why not if you can track if i could track a bear and get within 10 yards or or a deer within you know get that close um in april may june uh july whatever you know december then that's going to build my confidence and my skill set to be able to do it during the hunting season yeah for sure it'll be good practice um sneaking up on animals uh, and moving through the woods quietly it's it's good practice to read the wind and then you just learn about their behavior and their habits you know what plants they're eating at different times of the year Mm -hmm. where they like to bed how how they set up those beds so that they can 
um, detect predators following their scent or their trail, you know, things like that. It's not random. Um, yeah. Oh no, yeah. it's definitely not random. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to hit on a, on a kind of a philosophical or, or maybe philosophical policy issue. You mentioned like that, that there's, you know, two things that humans have been doing we've been eating and breeding for, you know, 30,000 or years or however far back we want to say it, we can mark the calendar and say, okay, humans exist now. And I think mm -hmm. I, I've, I've commented, I think we as a hunting community, when, when people say, oh, you, you know, you shouldn't hunt. Um, I think if people don't want to hunt, that's fine. Um, but I think it's very, I think it's short-sighted or kind of myopic and narcissistic for anybody today, for people today to say that we that hunting's bad or unnatural or the animals it's their place like it's their home not ours and because humans we've been part of the landscape like the whole time and we've been consuming you know prey species and even predators and hunting them to survive to become where we are today as part of that we've been part of that fabric that's been woven for you know for thousands of years and so it, yeah. i do feel like it's natural you know not everybody needs to go out and hunt but people do need to go out and do hard things that challenge them you know mentally physically psychologically etc and have a have a you know have that chess match and i and a lot of us find that chess match out in the woods yeah that um boy that brings up a lot of thoughts to me um <laughs> if i can if i can let's see if i can remember them all while i go yeah. through it um well yeah i mean i i agree with you i think where the water gets muddy is when the the general non-hunting public looks at um what some people consider hunting you know and sure. and the question of ethics and fair chase and, and um you know, and that, and, and, and while some of that might be personal, mm -hmm. um, some of it, I think, um, should be looked, you know, more scrutinized, you know, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> we already, we already outlaw certain activities for the most part, like, like shooting an animal from a helicopter, you know, I think sure. most all people agree that's not fair chase. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a lot of other activities that someone who doesn't hunt might look at it and say, well, your modern center fire, high powered rifle with a variable powered scope and your range finder and spotting scope, you know, might not be fair chase. And, right. and so I think it just gets muddy and, and, um, I think it's good to have these discussions yeah. um, and, and talk about it with, with everyone, with hunters, with non hunters, if we could all sit down and discuss it, you know, like adults, um, yep. I think we'd be, we'd better be better for it. Yeah. Um, that, that being said, one, um, there's not enough animals for everybody to hunt too. No, like no. everybody can't hunt and everybody that hunts can't shoot an animal. Like there's not, there's not enough. Even if you live where there's all those whitetails, right. If everybody did it, you know, we, there's not enough resource for it. And, and so that brings up questions of access and all that kind of stuff yeah. that, that's been going on too. That's um, why California's deer season topic. ends. That's why California's deer season ends, you know, <laughs> starts and ends, um, 
while the deer are mostly nocturnal to make it harder for us. Well, it's designed. It, no, it is. It's literally designed to yep. end before the rut. So, cause that's when yep. the deer are most vulnerable yep. and, and most of our deer populations in this state are going down. And so right. as opposed to like the whitetails, you know, on the East coast where they, where they want their numbers reduced. So they have the season during the rut, mm-hmm. you know, when, mm-hmm. when they're vulnerable. So, yeah. Yeah. One of the um, things I think, um, one of my things for we're going to talk about deer for a second since we're here now. Um, <laughs> what, what, two things I think I think I think hunters in California and, and you've got a habitat and biology background, and so I think this might resonate. I think hunters in California need to become like the most fervent, like hardcore advocates for habitat improvement in the state. Um, I don't, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of focus on the predators and, and that's, they need their focus. That conversation needs to happen. But even if the conversation about predators never happens, we can improve habitat and improve the situation for our herds immensely. If we focus on habitat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Mike. And that comes back to what you're just saying about um, non hunters view of hunting and, and us not being allowed to hunt. Um, the, the biggest driver for deer populations is the quantity and quality of habitat. Mm-hmm. And, and here in California, the ever expanding, you know, metropolis and, and cities and freeways and fragmentation of Island mountains by the roads. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just, it's nonstop. Um, yeah. and so anyone that carries, that cares about wildlife should care about habitat, like you're saying, yep. and, and working to, to conserve it and to improve it, you know, up here, where I am, and, and this is true for most of the state, um, you know, we, 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 we prohibited the traditional burning practices of the natives right. Right. and after logging, um, replanted a lot of forests. And so now we have these closed canopy forests with very little understory, which are, which yep. are, they're basically deserts for deer, you know? Yep. And, and if you look at the high country too, you can see pictures from uh, half a century ago, and you'd have trees spaced way far apart with, with brush in between them. And, and now they're grown in and thick conifer forests, you know? Yeah. So yeah. the habitat like is the most important part for sure. Yeah. There's so many people that look at those forests like, Oh my gosh, that's a beautiful forest. But because they grew up looking at that monoculture green sea of forest and they think that's what a beautiful forest is. And then, you know, a fire goes through and they like, look at, it's been burned. It's like, and they freak out. It's like, this is terrible. It's like, yeah, it's, it, it's actually, it might not be that it might not be terrible. Like maybe it won't grow yeah. back and it, maybe it won't grow back at 10 times. It's natural. Um, 10 times it's natural density. Um, so yeah, hunters need to get behind habitat a lot. Um, and then the other thing I think we can do as a community is move to, to a one tag state, a one, a one deer, one buck, um, harvest limit in the state uh and leave a few more animals on the landscape and hopefully yield higher success rates um but well, that's that's uh <laughs> i listened to your i listened to your podcast yeah i listened to your yeah. podcast about that yeah. and um i'd love to have a discussion with you about that but it's probably not the place here and I, i'm it's not saying i'm against or for it I, <laughs> I think it would be i think it's a good conversation to have um yeah yeah cool all right, let's talk about tracking and yeah. black bears because that's that that is that <laughs> now that we're now that we're 20 minutes in. Um what do you there's we're not going to talk about specific areas that you go to, but 
how do you approach, like if you're going to jump in your truck and drive to go on a hunt and track, you know, what do you, what do you look for? How do you decide what trailhead or where you're going to go? And then, and then when you get out of that truck or vehicle, what do you, what's, what's the, what's the mental and physical process you go through to, to, to get yourself in front of a bear, you know, six hours, 10 hours later? Yeah, for sure. Um, so there's two kind of ways to think about this there's, there's tracking the bear and then there's hunting the bear. And if, if the conditions for tracking are good, then that's how I will hunt them. But if the conditions for tracking aren't good, then, then I'll use other methods to hunt them. I, I really love to, to sneak around the woods, still hunt, you know, and, and just, just slip around, but it involves, it does involve reading sign to know where to go. So, so there's kind of two different angles to that, I think, but, but I'll talk first about how to, yeah, if you're going to go out in the woods and look for a bear track and and follow it down, um, Mm -hmm. you need, I guess, just starting totally big picture. You have to be somewhere that you can go, whether that's public land or or someone's ranch and, and, and there has to be bears there. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if we're talking about hunting bears about, I'm looking at the map right now. And I think that almost half of the state is closed to hunting bears. So when, when you get on the big yeah. game regs onto the bear page, they've got this diagram and you know, the, the, the Northwest corner um, down to the, to Lake Tahoe and then down the Sierras to the transverse range and across the transverse range to the Los Padres, mm-hmm. that's all open to bear hunting, but the rest of the state is closed. And it doesn't mean there aren't bears there. Um, some places there aren't bears, but, but some places there are. So yep, if you're going to hunt them, make sure you're within that open zone, obviously. Sure. And then, um, man, I mean, the way I approach it is I look for um, locations where I'm going to be able to, to see sign. And okay. so it could be dusty roads, um, or it could be muddy roads, it, it could be um, wetlands or, um, just, just locations where I'm going to be able to see sign. And, and so if I've never been to an area before, uh, I, I really like roads cause you can cruise them quickly and, and look for tracks, you know? Yeah. Um, and since we have this, you know, Mediterranean climate here in California, it's either usually either dry season or, or wet season. Mm-hmm. And during the, um, the dry season, those back country roads are, are dusty. They're super good for picking up tracks. And so I'll just cruise around until I see fresh sign. And when I see a fresh trail, um, try to figure out where the, the bear left the road and, and then follow it into the woods as far as I can. And when I'm learning a new area, you know, I'll follow old sign. I'll follow whatever, just kind of let it lead me where it goes. Um, mm-hmm. but when I'm in an area that I know well, and I'm trying to actually, catch up to that animal you know you're looking for fresh tracks to to stay on to to you find the animal um and to you know how to put that together to eventually end up you know close <laughs> to the bear that's a it's a long process that mainly is just a lot of practice um right a lot of practice following tracks so that you can see and recognize sign in different and difficult substrate as well as, um, understanding behavior well enough to 
uh, hypothesize about where the bear is going so that when you lose the trail, you can pick it up farther ahead. <clears throat> so if you know that there's a big, you know, wet meadow at the head of the drainage and the bears, you know, following a game trail up okay. this Creek, you know, and it's, it's been on that game trail for a couple miles, you can probably, you know, jump way up ahead and, and get into that wet meadow where the bear has been feeding and, and probably bedded nearby, you know? Okay. Um, so, so it takes a lot of practice of, of following tracks and, and understanding animal behavior and also, um, getting close to animals because a big part of it for me, a big challenge is recognizing when I'm getting close to the bear and when you mm -hmm. have to slow down and start looking for the animal and, and, and being quiet. Right. And, and make that approach. I, I don't I think, know. I think a lot of us, <laughs> I think a lot of us think about bears or animals is like, they're just wandering around, but really what you're saying is we need to decide, we need to think about what is that bear doing? Like, what is its purpose in moving in this direction? And then we decide to go with, choose, choose a hunch, choose a theory. And then, and then pre, you know, kind of think about, well, if the bear is doing that, it's going to continue doing this and then, and then follow that mm -hmm. to its end and, and see if we're right. Like there's, there's, mm -hmm. there's a purpose yep. to its movement. Yep. And, you know, that's why Louis Liedenberg, um, you know, he hypothesizes that um, tracking really is the original science because you're constantly uh, making predictions and testing them to see if they're right. And with new data, um, you're uh, interpreting and, and readjusting your predictions until, you know, until you hone into the animal, basically. And, and you get this direct feedback from the landscape, you know, either, either you find the animal or you don't. Um, and then I will say, you know, like where I live, um, the, the tracking of bears is very challenging, um, during the hunting season. And that's mostly because, um, it's difficult to distinguish, uh, today's bear track from yesterday's, from the days before. And, okay. and there's been so much sign on the landscape that it all kind of weaves together and, um, a lot of the forest floor is, is covered in stuff that's just too difficult to see a track in, you know, leaves or, or sticks or things like that. Right. And so what, what I do a lot during the bear hunting season is cruise around until I find food. And then okay. when you found food, look for bear sign, look for scat, look for tracks, look for marking trees, things like that. And when I know that the bears are active in an area, then I just, I just slip through there, you know, with the wind in my favor, listening and, and looking for them. And, and when I've located one, trying to get close, you know, I was wondering when food would come yeah. up because it's come up in every other conversation. <laughs> and I was thinking you've yeah, got I mean, like, the, is... you, you used food, like the season, the month, the week, and the food that you think is going to be the right food to be around. Do you use that to help localize or, or narrow down where you're going to start, start this, this, this hunt that on, on, on that day. And, and what is, Oh yeah. What is the right oh, yeah, food totally. like, like to you? Like what are the, yeah. what are the top food sources to, to focus on? Man, it just depends on the season and, and everything is about food, you know, for the bears, except for during the rut. Um, okay. th their whole life is about food for us. Cause you know, hunting season starts mid August, right. Um, for archery. And then it goes till the end of December, uh, the food changes quite drastically. So you can still have bears in mid August during really wet years 
feeding on green vegetation at high elevations. So they could still be focused on plants, you know? Hmm. Um, but if you're at lower elevations, you might be focused on um, trailing and Himalayan blackberry, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's definitely berries going on. The blue elderberry, um, the, the trailing blackberry, the Himalayan blackberry, um, and you're right kind of at the start of the black huckleberry during that um, archery season, at least where I am for, okay. for bears. Um, as you move into September, then you start getting into those acorns. You know, I've heard you talk about huckleberry oak. Yeah. Um, that's a good early, early one. Uh, the, the I thought I was, oak, I was so proud of myself. <laughs> I was yeah, so proud yeah. of myself but figuring you know, that out. <laughs> and, and what's neat about that, what time of year have you seen them eating huckleberry acorns? That was, uh, uh mid August to the first weekend week of, of, uh, labor of September. Yeah. It was about yeah, 7,000 foot elevation, you know, late August, early September. Right. And that was, that's my experience too. But I went to, um, Yosemite once in mm-hmm. early November and they were still eating huckleberry acorns. It was, oh, it was wow. incredible. I yeah. I don't know if that was just a, a weird year or, or, or what, but um, off the bush were or were they on the ground off the bush? No, they were off the bush. Yeah. Oh wow. It was wild. And there was, and there was tons of them. We were watching the bears eat them. It was crazy. But anyway, sure. Um, those like those early oak shrubs, uh, become available. And then because they're on a shrub, they get eaten really quickly. I mean, mm-hmm. everything's eating those chipmunks and, and mice and deer and band-tailed mm-hmm. pigeons. Um, so they get eaten really fast. And then there's like a, a little bit of a lull in that mid to late September, um, where there aren't any other acorns available and you're, and you're probably going to be focused on berries, you know, the Himalayan blackberry at that time of year is still good. Um, and then starting kind of early October is when you start getting into the tree oaks, um, your, your California black oak, um, your Oregon white oak, um, those blue oaks, um, Engelman oaks, things like that. And, and so October, and into November, December, you're, you're moving into those, um, bigger oak species. And, and I don't know, uh, where you live. Um, but where I live, uh, we have the tan oak and that acorn carries over through the winter and, and into the spring. And so huh. that, you know, we kind of shift into that, um, tan oak feeding and, and that's what they're focused on for a while. Um, yeah. Is it those tree oaks then, you know, that pull you know, the bears down? Like, will the tree oaks pull the bears down in elevation then? Because, like, the huckleberry oak, you know, it's in, for me, it was in a higher elevation area. Um, do the tree oaks then, do the bears just kind of yo yo up and down, you know, follow the berries low to high, follow the, follow the acorns high to low? Yeah, totally. Wherever the food is, they're going to go. And I, yeah, I've heard you talking about that on your, on the other podcast and it's, it's right on. I mean, what we see is, is we see them up in the high elevation eating plants and then eating that shrub oak. And then in the lower elevation, when those black and white oaks go, they, they come down into them. And, and there are bears that are down there all year. Like, like last year I was hunting a, a patch of white oaks, um, and a bear had been there all of September eating wild grapes. You know, you could just see the scats <laughs> everywhere and there was lots of wild grapes still there. So, wow. so it, it depends, but they, but they follow that food. I mean, there is a, um, a researcher up here, Kelly house who, uh, had some radio collar bears and, and basically showed that 
when they finished one patch of food, they would go on a sh- almost a straight line course to the next patch. Like if they were eating manzanita berries and clean that whole, you know, um, hillside of manzanita out, they'd yeah. go straight to the next one that they knew of, you know? So they're, they have an incredible, um, awareness of where they are on the landscape as, and, and when foods are becoming ripe, you know? It's like they've got their cert by the time they're an adult, they've got their circuit, you know, down to the week practically. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're intelligent animals. For a new, you've talked about, you know, you know, get, if you're not on a track itself, you're looking for a sign. Um, scat obviously is, is, is there. Sometimes it's there, you know, the same pile of scat could be there, you know, 12 months later too. And so it's hard to determine how, how fresh it is. Um, you know, just cause it's there doesn't mean it's recent, but, uh, for a new, for a new bear hunter that's going out in the woods, um, they're probably not, you know, at the skill level to, to truly follow a track. I know it took me a while just to see things like to see, like, mm-hmm. I just, I finally learned and saw my eyes connected with the stomp trail, like last year. And now I see them oh, all the cool. time. Now I, now I see them all the yeah, time. Cool. I see, I see bear trails right, right, and stomp right. trails all the time. And they were there the whole time. I'm sure I just was walking past them. Um, yep, I, I've, yep. I started to see some beds that I think are more likely a bear bed than a deer bed. And, but I don't mm-hmm, see mm-hmm. broken trees yet. I'm sure I'm walking mm-hmm. past them. What are like, what does a new bear hunter need to look for to, you know, what are the visual cues that they need to train their eyes to see, or what are the easiest ones to see that they need to start latching onto? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, definitely start looking for the, the marking trees, um, that they stand and rub against. And sometimes they just, they just bite them and claw them. Hmm. Um, so you'll, you'll see trees that look like, you know, from, from, uh, depending on how tall you are, maybe, you know, torso up to head high, that a, a a big chunk was taken out of them. The bark was removed. There's, you know, wood exposed, the um, claw marks, torn, torn wood. And if you get really close, you know, there's clumps of fur. <clears throat> so I, w- I would start looking for those <clears throat> and look for the, the trees where they've a lot of times with conifer saplings, they just, they stand up and they're rubbing on them and they, they bite that top and just bend it over and snap it. Right. <laughs> um, that's kind of now, is neat, that marking is that a territorial see. thing or is it incidental to them scratching their back no it's all scent marking bears aren't aren't territorial the way a, a, a mountain lion is um okay you know that they they're because their food is is so stochastic they they have to be um, malleable for mm-hmm. you know where they'll go on the landscape and so what, what's been explained to me by mark elbrock is that um their territory revolves around the current source of food but it could also revolve around say an estrus sow um and and move with her you know so so all that rubbing on trees it's scent marking um those stomp trails you're seeing that's scent marking um they passively leave scent when they walk through the brush um you know their olfactory system is incredible you know Mm -hmm. so so that's all related to communication because you have to think about a, a bear a black bear is an animal that lives in a thickly forested environment at low densities that doesn't create an auditory call. So how are they going to communicate? <laughs> how do they find each other? You know, and it's right. all through um, olfaction and scent. Okay. Um, 
Yeah. But I, and so I would also say the new hunter, um, definitely look at scat and, and there are ways to determine whether it's fresh or not and how long it's been there. Um, and what I look for is, uh, generally the outside, um, color of the droppings. If it's very, very fresh will be the same color as the inside. So when you get a fresh pile of bear dung, when they've been eating plants, mm-hmm. that outside of it is bright green and it, and it dulls really quickly. And if they are eating salmon berries, the outside of it is orange and, and, and that dulls quickly. If they're eating acorns, the outside of that scat is, is um, like a cornmeal kind of color, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so when, it, when it's the same color and consistency on the outside of the inside, it's smoking fresh. And right. oftentimes you can smell the bear right there. Steaming, you know? steaming um, fresh. <laughs> yeah, yeah totally, totally. Yeah. And, and then it starts to age um, and the, the outside ages quicker. And so it, it forms that crust. But if you stepped on it or took a stick and poked it, the inside would still be soft, right? Right. And so that's something that's a couple days old, you know. And then once the whole thing has gone hard and dry, you know, you're getting into, depending on the humidity and where you are, a week or two weeks or something like that, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm constantly stepping on bear scat when I'm in the woods just yeah. to assess how fresh it is, you know? Yeah. yeah. If yeah. it mushes out, it's um, pretty fresh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um and then I would say, um, paying attention to tracks. And then I think what's super important for new hunters is to go watch bears. So go somewhere that you can watch bears, go to Yosemite or Yellowstone or, or any of the national parks, um, get, you know, try yeah. to talk to the biologists and find out when there's a berry crop or, or a salmon run, or if there's a meadow that they're feeding in and, and just watch them. Um, you know, doesn't matter how far, how close you are, just spend time watching them. Cause you get to see all the, the neat little things they do and, and how they interact with each other. And, and, um, you also get to start to practice how to identify different age bears and, and the males versus females and things like that, you know? So I always encourage folks to go watch animals whenever they can. Yeah. Are there, are there, you talk about going to roads, you know, finding dirt roads where you're, there's going to be, where there'll be it'll be dusty enough to to pick up a track um does that limit your your elevation range or does that kind of put you into the right elevation range typically you know i think you know if i'm backpacking into some of the places i like to go because visually i like the scenery <laughs> hey it's nine thousand feet yeah. and it's it's above alpine that's where mike likes to be <laughs> but it's not mm-hmm. necessarily a good yeah. bear area and there's no roads um, but maybe well, I'm making a hard, maybe I'm I mean, making it harder than it needs to be. Maybe I, maybe I should like, let go of that, enjoy that for what it is. But if I want to go on bears, get down at five, 6,000 feet where there's some actual, you know, old logging roads and stuff. Yeah, no, no, you don't need the roads. Um, I mean, just cause there's roads, if there's no roads, doesn't mean there, it's not going to, there's not going to be bears. Um, mm-hmm. I just like, if you're like learning how to track bears, you want to get on tracks, con- you know, consistently, Yep. And, and it's kind of easiest to do that, you know, with a dirt road or with a muddy road, but you can cruise hiking trails too. I mean, they, bears use hiking trails like we do and, okay. and you can cruise them. It, if you get up at elevation, I mean, if there's food up there where you're backpacking into, um, yeah. then there's going to be bears there, you know? And, and so you might, it, it might take more boot leather 
um, for you to, to cut a track that you could follow. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, I really enjoy those backpack um, adventures as well. And I consider them adventures. You know what I mean? And yep. I'm not worried about shooting an animal or not. If you, if you really, you know, but then, but then in, when the bears come down in elevation, you know, during that October, November time, I'm usually hunting them in national forests where there are roads just cause th- that's where those, you know, oaks are that they're feeding in that time. Right. So it, it just depends. It depends what kind of experience you're looking for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think I'm through, through what you're saying and, and kind of some of the other conversations I've had, I'm realizing that there's a reason that where I am in October, um, I'm not seeing as many bears and it's probably because they've mm-hmm. dropped down and I need to, you know, I, I have this Alpine, this feeling of like th- they'll be in the Alpine, but they're not always in the Alpine. They're sometimes lower in the, that mixed Oak forest. Right. And, um, right. And I need to, I need, if and I want to see them, I need to follow them. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and, and like once the guns start going off, you know, they certainly feel more secure and thick stuff too. So yeah. I mean, there could be something there, but right. Yeah. Like all animals. So yeah. yeah. What, um, can you tell me, and maybe, maybe it's in the book. I, I hate to have you give too much of the book away, but can you, can you share like one of your most, um, I don't know, rewarding or exciting or just, just like the, the, a bear tracking, you know, story, and kind of give us a breakdown and, and what the culmination was for you. Oh, oh, oh yeah, certainly. Certainly. Yeah. Um, a favorite let's see here. <laughs> um, well, a favorite one, <laughs> <laughs> um, man. Um, well, I mean, one of my favorites, uh, is the introduction to the book. Okay. And, um, it was, I was in a location where I've, I've been tracking bears for years. I, I know the place really well. Um, I was hiking up uh, a, you know, a discontinued road, just one of those old grass roads going through the woods above um, a big swampy area that the bears feed in. And it had, it had rained really hard all night. And when I cut these bears tracks, um, you know, it was apparent that they were fresh. They were after the rain. Right. And, and it was a really big bear. It was one of the, one of the biggest bears, um, that, that I that know lives on that mountain in that area. And, uh, I, you know, when I get on a track like that, there's something in my brain, I think that fires and, and I just feel so alive. And this wasn't during hunting season. Okay. Um, this is, uh, in the spring. So I was just out there to, to learn about bears and, and to get close to them and hopefully watch them. Yeah. Um, so I, I I followed that trail and that bear went down an elevation a few hundred feet, um, through some old growth forest, you know, and there's, and there's old growth trees lying on their side that the bears crawling underneath and, and Mm -hmm. then big old growth stumps that the, the bears going around the edge of and, and, um, you know, thick, thick huckleberry that where I'm crawling and, and the bears crawling <laughs> and it's just a really easy trail to follow. Cause he's going downhill, he's big and the ground is wet. Right. And, and then the springtime, 
the ground, at least where I am, is wet enough where the, the bears can really sink in and, and leave good tracks. And, and on a trail like this, you could almost follow, you know, every track for track. You know, um, there's wow. short sections where you might might not be able to see it, but you can really see it uh, most of the trail. We, the bear got down to the bottom of that hill and went out into this swamp and started feeding. And there's, you know, the water is like mid shin height on me. Right. And there's tall grasses growing out of it and sedges and, and um, clumps of, of lady fern and, and um, hedge nettle that the bear's eating. And the hedge nettles are really tart fragrance. So yeah. there's this tart aroma in the air. And the whole world is like vibrant green because it's, it's springtime and, and yeah. the warblers are moving through the woods. It's just like a, a great time to be in the woods, you know. So I followed the bear through the swamp. And then he went out into a, a dry meadow to feed on the grass. When he got out into the dry meadow, you know, he had mud on his feet um, from being in the swamp. Mm-hmm. And so his trail across that meadow was this gray line that you hmm. could kind of, if you looked, if you looked right down at your feet, it was hard to see. But if you looked up ahead into the distance, you know, and kind of let your eyes go soft you could mm-hmm. see that gray line, you know, meandering across the meadow, right? It was really neat. Um, and, uh, and his trail went right past this big bull elk um, that was bedded in this sedge thicket. I, I spotted Jeez. the elk because his, uh, his knobby antlers were just kind of poking up above the sedges. It was pretty neat. Wow. Um, so then the bear, I had to go around the elk and leave the bear trail because I didn't want to spook the elk. So I, I circled way around this blackberry thicket and popped back into the swamp and got back on the bear's trail. He went back into the swamp to do some more feeding. And then he came up out of the swamp on the edge of another huckleberry old growth thicket where um, there's a lot of bear beds. And he, he stood up at this point to, to mark a tree, you know, rub his back and to claw it and, and to bite. And it's really, you know, he was, he was a pretty big bear. So I was pretty sure, you know, that it was a male but mm-hmm. it, but at that time of year, the behavior of him scent marking really confirms that I, that I was following a boar, you know, mm-hmm. rather than a sow. Um, this section of the woods, though, that he went into, um, were a lot drier, and and the ground was a lot harder, you know, more hard packed, so it was difficult to see his tracks. And at at some point in there, um, I lost his trail, hmm. but. I had the edge of the swamp to use as a track trap because if he walked back into the swamp, then I would for sure see tra- the tracks, you know, it would be very obvious. And so I cruised the edge of the swamp until um, I hit a really dense patch of redwood sorrel and candy flower, which is a, um, an herbaceous plant, you know, mm. and I used, I used the herbaceous plants as another track trap to, to go back up the hill. And so basically I was cutting, um, an L shape around where I thought the bear went right. and, and, and walking where I would be certain that I would see his tracks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so that, that way I would, I would get back, I could get back on him. Well, I, I walked to the edge of this track trap all the way back up to the old road that had started. And, and I was back on, and the whole time I was positive. I hadn't seen his tracks cross. Right. Yeah. At one point I, at one point I jumped another bear. Um, but it was much smaller than the one I've been following. So 
so now at this point, back up on the road where I started, um, I, I had almost completed a full circle around the hillside where I thought the bear had gone into. Right. Mm-hmm. So my plan was to keep walking the road back to where I started. And if I didn't see his tracks come out of there, then I knew he was down there on this hill. Right. And I could go in and try to find him again. So I was walking that old road to complete the circle yeah. when I heard the sound of an animal coming out of the thicket. Right. <laughs> and, and 20 yards in front of me, here he came. I think what he did is he churned up where I lost him and he was walking up the hill the same time I was. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of intersected, you know, each other. And so he emerges out of this wall of green, right? Just breaking branches like big boars do <laughs> when they, when they think no one's around, you know? Sure. And he pops out, pops out and he's 20 yards away from me and kind of slightly <laughs> uphill. And because he's uphill, he just looks huge. I mean, the, the top of his back, you know, is like shoulder height on me. He's, he's, he's round like a boulder and his muscles are, are filled in and, and he just looks hard as stone, you know? Um, and his back, even though it's early in the spring, there's two white stripes down his back where his skin shows. Cause he's rubbed all the hair out off of it already. You uh-huh. know? Um, and he's this gorgeous, like, like dark cinnamon chocolate color, you know, fading in, into dark rumps, um, a really gorgeous animal. And, and, you know, I kind of looked him over and, and he looked me over and we locked eyes. And, and when you have those interactions with an animal like that, it, it's, it's timeless, you know, it feels like a, um, an eon, right? Yeah. But it's only, it's only five seconds, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and after looking at each other in the eyes, you know, he turned and, and bombed off the hill and, and, and I could hear him crashing down the hill and, you know, it, um, it, it just left me on, on a pretty good high for the, for the rest of that day. That's awesome. Um, to be so close to an, an animal like that, you know, an animal that doesn't want to be seen, doesn't want to be that close to people. Um, you know, has lived his whole life to, to evading people, you know, um, it's really cool. Are you moving yeah. as slow as like still and like, what's, what's the time and distance? What's the kind of the pace that somebody, when they're in that, yeah. when they're in that tracking mode, how slow are they yeah, going? Good question. Yeah, totally. Good question. It varies. Um, it varies depending on how far you can see or hear, So if you're able to, um, like come up over a ridge and look down into the drainage below you and across to the other side and confirm that there's no animals over there, Mm -hmm. then you can move quickly across that next drainage. Right. But if it's too thick, or if you think you're coming into a feeding area or a bedding area, um, you you have to slow down a lot. So this, your speed definitely varies. And it also varies with how, challenging it is to see the trail and stay on it um Mm -hmm. certainly when it's easier you can move faster but you don't want to fall into the trap of moving fast because it's easy to see the trail um because you'll bump generally yeah you'll bump the animal or you'll lose the trail if the animal turns you know Um, i see that where people move fast and they just miss a turn you know generally you know what i like to do is my buddy brian mcconnell he says uh let the trail pull you along you know, okay. don't be in a rush because if you get on a fresh trail and, and you've practiced enough, you're, you're going to catch up to that animal. And I want to catch up to the animal on my terms as opposed to theirs. 
so like if I start on a fresh hog track that I know is going to a bed, um, mm. there's no point in, in walking it fast. We're, we're taking it ultra slow. Cause like when we, when we hunt hogs, that's my favorite way to hunt hogs is, is getting on tracks and following them to their beds. Um, and, and so we only, we usually only pick up tracks that we know are going into bedding areas. Um, and, and so we are moving ultra slow and scanning every log and, and every little dip in the, the landscape where they could be hiding. And so your speed, you know, your speeds, your speed is slow and, and it varies, but when you think you're getting close to where the animal might be, you're, you're definitely wanting to slow down. Yeah. Got it. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's, it's very slow. Sometimes, you know, I'm, I stop frequently on the trail and, and just listen, you know, and look, because, uh, if an animal's feeding, um, they make quite a bit of noise, you know, a feeding bear, um, or just a bear traveling through the woods that doesn't know a person around is around sure. makes a lot of noise. Yeah. Same with feeding hogs and elk and stuff. Um, so if you can let the animal, you know, give themselves away, you know, you, you should do that. Yeah. I, um, a couple of years ago, it was last, not last year. Well, last year, uh, first or second weekend of the season, we got some good snow. The year before that, like the week before the season opened, we got snow, I think. And I remember in the areas I like to go into, um, well, where I was last year, we got like four inches of snow up around 8,000 feet. And uh, I walked out and I had to exit the woods that day. I really didn't have to. I chose to. <laughs> I, I stuck with the calendar that I'd made that I'd planned on. Uh-huh. Anyways, I had until like I had until maybe noon to get out, and so I had you know I had like five or six hours that I could hunt. And um, there's you know deer tracks everywhere, and I know hmm. I know it was dumping at midnight, and so if these deer tracks are crisp and and you know they're they, I can I know they're fresh. I know they happened in the last several hours. Same with there was a bear track within a hundred feet of my camp that was also perfectly fresh. And so, you know, I think that's probably, I tried to follow the deer tracks. Um, and I probably, and I got to where, uh, I followed them to a couple beds and I'm thinking I probably bumped them at least once in the process of following this track, if not more than once. Um, Mm-hmm. I never, I never laid because eyes of, on them. Because of, like they started running or something like that. Yeah. Well, I no, I I would be I that that would be uh, embellishing if I could say that I knew that they were running. Just I, the freshness <laughs> of like when I got to the beds, they were they were so fresh. Like they were, I could tell that they were very fresh. All right, I got the impression that these beds were very fresh. Um, okay. And then and then they turned. Um, when I finally decided not to continue following them, they had, they had shot up, uh, they'd shot up a, a hill out of the drainage to leave, basically leave the entire drainage, probably up about okay. 500 feet. Um, but anyways, I also oh, had this yeah. bear track and I'm realizing that, that given the pace, you know, given, given the time of day, how fresh the track was, it probably was within a couple miles, if not less than a mile of where I was. Um, and it would have been a matter of just de- dedicating, you know, some the the time to slow down and follow it. That, like you said, if you have a fresh track, you can get to the animal if you give it enough time. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and 
usually um, if a bear wants to go somewhere, mm-hmm. they, they walk pretty fast. And so mm-hmm. they could outwalk you, you know, okay. <laughs> but, um, but you still, you don't want to move fast. Um, and, and, and you reminded me that that's a great exercise for beginners, uh, follow animal tracks in snow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it allows you to relax a little bit because it's not as difficult to see the trail, you know, mm-hmm. And, and so you can look for the animals and, and kind of do more prediction and stuff and, and really see how the, the roots, you know, because when you're following those deer in the snow, mm-hmm. you were probably seeing um, the game path of how they're going to travel through the woods. Right. You, you kind of see like they meander this way and weave yeah. around the tree and they're following a, a trail. They're following a game path, you know, a lot yep. of times. And it's the same as, you have to, you have to do that when you're, when you're tracking without snow, it's, it's just becomes more difficult to see those roots, you know? Yeah. With, and with, with, pra- with practice that, that stuff comes, but definitely, yeah, get out there when there's snow. Um, it, it's really fun to follow in the snow and, it, and it's good practice and um, a good way to start. Yeah. Yeah. I marked, I marked, there was a point at which they, they were kind of, they transitioned, they, w- they went along a ridge between two other drainages and I'm guessing they probably travel that ridge all the time, snow or no snow. And then where they mm-hmm. bed down, they probably bed down in on that hill. That's it's kind of the southeast. It's probably a morning bed area for them, mm-hmm. snow or no snow. And so it it did help at least give me visual, you know, some visual cues that if I go back there, that ridge is probably a tra- a travel corridor for them. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, totally. that I, I had the snow not been there. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known that you mentioned, you mentioned yeah. the, when the bear left the swampy area and it basically like dragged this, this very rough, you know, paintbrush <laughs> streak across the, the dry, <laughs> the dry meadow. And it reminds yeah. me that when I, you know, a lot of times, and I think people that are new to it will, will find, might find this helpful that if I come up on a, a deer trail, I can usually see the trail like a travel corridor or a travel route, I can see it better from a distance. Like you said, let your eyes kind of go soft and you can just mm-hmm. see the indentation in the forest floor. Mm-hmm. But then you walk up to yep. it and you look down on it and it's invisible. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like, you, know, you have to see for, these at a distance. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's kind of what really helps, um, for you to, to develop momentum on a trail when you're, when you're following tracks and you're looking for tracks down at your feet, mm-hmm. um, it's very difficult to, to create, um, a continuous momentum, a continuous movement along the trail. Mm-hmm. But if you're, um, if you're walking with your head up and you're looking for the tracks out ahead of you, you can see tracks that are, are 10 yards in front of you. And so if you can see that track, you don't need to see the stuff at your feet and you, and you can right. walk up to that track and be looking in the distance for the next track. And so it's kind of like a game of connect the dots. And when, when it, when it happens smoothly, it allows you to um, build this momentum that carries you along the trail. If you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and it pulls you through. It does. It kind of pulls you. Yeah. And you fall into this zone. And it also allows you to be looking in the distance for the animal, because if you're looking for tracks at your feet, you're never going to see the animal, you know? Right. Right. 
what's the what's the worst case scenario how how long have you been on a trail <laughs> oh have you ever I mean, taken one overnight <laughs> oh yeah for sure i've done that with elk you know uh, okay um, a couple handfuls of times like I, going out of state archery hunting elk mm-hmm. i've gotten on them um and stayed with the herd for for three days just sleeping wherever i am you know i've done that a few times oh my gosh um oh yeah which is so much fun um yeah listening to them bugle at night and just kind of sleeping in elk beds and next to creeks and um wherever you are it's it's really fun you know um and then i, I yeah i've done that um for sure for work you know i work with with feral cattle um and and so i've stayed on them for you know a few days at a time um yeah and then a lot of times what i do for practice like there's there's elk on the mountain behind my house um uh, is I'll, I'll go up there in the winter and track these bulls and um and i'll track them like like three days in a row and wherever okay. i stop at night you know i come come down here you know to eat in the house and sleep in the house and then hike back up to where i stopped last night and, and get back on them you know got um, it and so i i I've done that quite frequently. Yeah. Get a decent night's sleep, but still stay on them over multiple days. Yeah. Yeah. And you really need an animal that's conducive to that. Like you're not going to do that with deer or, or, or hogs and probably not going to do that with a bear, you know? Right. Um, But with elk, you know, you could do that with with some animals. Yeah. I mean, you could do that maybe in the um, Southern part of the state with those desert mule deer, um, you get on a buck that's, that's cruising, you know, I've been mm-hmm. on some of those buck tracks for miles and mm-hmm. you might, you might be able to, um, start back on them the next day. There's guys in the Southwest that kill bucks like that. Um, that Tracking. track them down. Yeah. yeah I've heard, yeah. I've, yeah. uh, yeah. There's a guy, Chad Roberts. Have you heard him talk? No, I haven't. Yeah, this guy Chad Roberts. I'll who, check him he, out. He he talks a lot about tracking and soil. You know, oh, cool. on, he focuses on finding areas that have mineral, where he can tell that the mineral content in the soil is is what the deer need and want. And he'll he'll find oh, cool. deer. He'll like he'll identify where there's a deer lick where deer have been licking the soil, and he'll use that mm-hmm. as as a key um, that that it's the right area. Um, oh, right on. Very. And, and you know. know what? very much about the dirt and, and what he sees in the dirt. Yeah. I'll have to check him out. Chad Roberts. That reminds me, Mike, I do want folks to understand that, um, you know, there's a lot of lore and and mysticism around tracking. Mm -hmm. And, um, what I'm talking about is a very real skill. It's, it's, um, and you need to apply it when the situation is right. So Mm -hmm. you're not going to set up, your spotting scope to, to spot and stalk an animal like on the coast of um, British Columbia, where it's super thick, right? Right. right. And you know, and you, and you're not going to go still hunting through an ankle high, you know, flat sagebrush area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't get on any track and expect to catch up to the animal. You you need to identify um, the the times of the year when the subtra- substrate um, is, is actually uh, conducive to staying on the trail, you know, because yeah. we can only, we can only follow a trail as far as we can see the tracks or as far as we can, um, you know, predict where the animal is going to go and get back on their tracks, but we have to be able to see the sign to do it, you know? So, you mean there's a so pragmatic a, part to this? 
Yeah, for sure, man. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like, like when I lived, um, in the Southern part of California, that, uh, that was how I hunted was I, I got on deer tracks and I tracked them down. That's how I hunted. When I, when we hunt hogs in the winter, mm-hmm. that's how we hunt them is we get on fresh tracks and follow them and, you know, follow them to the hogs. But where I live now during the deer season, it's not good for tracking. And so that's not the way I hunt, you know? Right. So I'm, I'm, I mostly still hunt and sneak around. Um, so yeah, so that's just something to throw out there, you know? Um, that's the, that's the reality. That's the reality yeah. for anybody that's going to go out there and try this is yeah. if the soil conditions don't hold a track, then you're not going to be successful. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Yeah. No, that, that, but that makes, that makes it a lot is of sense. possible when you, when you have figured out that the tracking conditions are good and you put in the time, you can consistently, you know, catch up to an animal if you start on fresh tracks. Yeah. So, and the snow thing is yeah. so true. I, I, I'm, I'm tempted this coming season because I, because of this huckleberry oak thing, I feel like, okay, I, I cracked the code on where these bears will be, you know, Labor Day weekend. <laughs> of course this year, there yeah, probably yeah, will yeah. be a really, there'll yeah. be a terrible a- acorn crop this year and it won't work. Um, <laughs> so part of me says, okay, I, I, I have a good idea of, you know, an elevation band and a general geography of where, bears will be this that weekend so i'm going to go and and harvest a bear again during archery season another part of me says because it's is it seems like it's it's harder to do and i think that the bear will be a it'll be a slightly different animal in terms of you know coat fur meat etc if i could get a bear in late late october um mm-hmm. and so part of me says well maybe i should try to wait and either get down into that mixed oak forest or wait until there's a snow and like just be ready to go mm-hmm. like if there's overnight snow get up there at the crack of dawn and then commit the day to find you know finding and following a track and and seeing yeah, if i can i love doing that see if i can do it i well, love doing that yeah i think you totally should how many miles um, we, can somebody track like, like normal pace, not, you know, just, is there an average of, do, do you ever leave a track? I've been on this track for three miles. I'm out of here. This ain't working or, or what's, when do you quit? No, you, you know, at this point, um, at this point, I don't usually quit unless mm-hmm. I've, I've pushed the animal, um, too many times or, um, you know, if I've lost the trail and can't find it, or, um, if I'm getting to the point where I either need to turn back to the truck or, or, right. or camp, you know, right. um, yeah, but you know, that could be, um, it, it might be that I walked down a grassy road, you know, just this past spring when I was hunting with James, um, we w- w- went down a grassy road. This is in a different state, went down a grassy road, jumped a bear off it, um, got, you know, gave the bear an hour, got on the bear's tracks, followed them maybe 700 yards to a, a, a vine maple stink current thicket that the bear was still in. Couldn't get close enough for a shot. The bear snuck out of there, you know, and we called it cause we didn't want to keep pushing them, you know? Um, so it, it just depends or, or it could be, yeah, I've been on this track five, six hours. I've been crawling. Uh, I'm, I'm torn up from the thorny bushes. Um, I don't know where the trail went. I, I've lost it in a really difficult 
substrate, um, you know, I'm going to call it, you know, so it, it just depends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think as you're starting, um, you know, to, to go three or four miles on, on an animal's trail, that's, that's a pretty long ways, you know, when, when you're starting out. Yeah. Because um, I'm, ge- I'm guessing but, that's going to be, you know, that that's going to be, some of that's going to be half a mile an hour. I would imagine. Oh, totally. Some of it, some of it's going to be slow. There's going to be places where you're looking for the trail because the bear circled around on itself a couple of times or it's feeding <laughs> and you're taking an hour or two just to figure out where the trail leaves. Um, maybe you, you get to a spot that you think the bear might still be there and you sit there for two hours, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, as it and walks, I, as it I walks, love, as it's walking still. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, no, man, I love getting out on that, that first, you know, one or two snows that, that we get in the fall. Um, if I don't have a bear tag, I, I try to find somebody that does. Um, cause that's definitely something I like to do. It, it's really fun. Um, yeah, cool. we haven't shot, we haven't shot one that way because they usually go into this gnarly thick, um, tan oak, this one yeah. spot where we usually try to track them and, and, and they bed in this stuff. That's really hard to approach, but, but it's super fun getting on them in the snow. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Yeah. It's tempting. I I've, I've wasted a lot of time, uh, attempting to move through the woods slow, you know, quietly and not, and not be successful there. And I've also, I feel like I've wasted a lot of time. Well, I'm learning while I go, but I've, I've, ex- I've invested a lot of time, um, sitting, waiting for animals to come through where I think they will. Um, last year it worked out. Mm-hmm. I saw several bears that way, but the, um, especially if there's snow i I like that if if there's snow i I feel like that would be a great way to spend a day um and mentally like to be at this point at least i know i know there's at least one animal in the woods (laughs) because i'm following it yeah and um i and i'm i think i'm getting closer to it so i can give it you know give it that time what what do bears are you know bears have what's going to give me up is it the sound? Is it going to be sent? Do they play the wind? Like, do they circle and do all the, all stuff with the wind that the, you know, the deer do to, to not get busted? Um, well, not, not preemptively as much the way deer do, you know, like deer, deer will, will bed down so that, and hogs and elk, they do this too. They, they bed down so that the trail that they were walking into their bed is upwind of them and, and blowing their scent is blowing in or the scent of something following their trail is blowing into their beds or they bed down where they can see the trail they walked in mm-hmm. or they bed down. Um, they walk through some really thick, loud brush before going to their bed. So that if something's <laughs> following their trail, it has to go through that. So, <clears throat> but bears, um, aren't that, um, paranoid, you know, they're not, they're they're not getting hunted by mountain lions, you know, like the deer around here. Um, I I was actually watching some bucks this weekend and I was like, I was watching them in the evening and I was like, man, those bucks look really extra jumpy and nervous. I mean, (laughs) even for bucks, they just looked extra nervous. Mm -hmm. And and then the, the next morning, I went over there and, and there was this Tom lion that had been hunting that area. And so I think they had caught his scent and were just super scary, you know, just, just paranoid, you know, <laughs> did you see the lion but, or you saw tracks? No, no, I just saw his tracks. Yeah. Okay. And I followed him through, you know, it was in a burn where I could see his tracks easy and he was yeah. clearly hunting through there, you know? Yeah. yeah. So but, they, could, um, they could smell no, him the or bears, something. 
Yeah, I, I think they did. Yeah, because mm. they were just so jumpy. I was like, there was no way I could sneak up on those bucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, the bears, what's going to give you away is um, noise will give you away probably first, in, unless the wind has shifted. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're walking on a trail and it just happens to be that the wind shifts and they smell you, or if you're wa- if you if you're following a trail uphill you know, and it gets to where the thermals are now going uphill and the bears bedded up there. That's going to give you away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and they will bed in places that they have, you know, that kind of advantage, but it's not to the same degree as, as deer, but a lot of times it's noise. And, um, the neat thing about bears, if, if you're in a place with a lot of food and a lot of bear sign, um, if they haven't smelled you, they often wonder if you're another bear. And so they kind of want to see what you are. Um, if okay. they see your human form, if, if they, once they know you're a human, I mean, they're usually out of there. Yeah. Um, so if they see that you're a human or if they do catch smell of you, um, you know, they're, they're going to be out of there, but usually what gives, what gives me away is, is noise, um, or being seen and, and, and being smelled too. Like yeah. a lot of times if I, like I was watching a bear on Sunday, I spotted her, well, I think, I think it might've been a young male. I'm not sure. It could have been an old female, but I think it was a young male. I spotted him from a few hundred yards away mm-hmm. and, uh, the wind was in my favor. And so I, I used some trees and I snuck down pretty close. I was, you know, 15, 10 yards from this bear while, while he was feeding, Jeez. um, for probably like a half an hour. And for the most part, the wind was coming up the hill and I was on the same elevation as the bear. Uh-huh. But, um, all of a sudden I felt that air shift just a little bit and it started quartering across the hill, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a couple seconds later that bear picked up his nose and he kind of mm-hmm. looked in the direction the wind was coming from and he slipped out of there like a ghost. And I don't think he realized I was right there close to him. You know, I think that he, he thought he smelled me before I was there, Right. you know? So yeah, I mean, if they smell you, there's certainly games up, but, um, you say 10 yeah. to 15 yards, like it's no big deal. That's incredibly close for most of us. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's legit. That's I, that is, I feel like I can touch this animal. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool. Um, I mean, that's what I strive for. Um, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, but that's, yeah. that's my goal. Yeah. Yeah. So last year in my little ambush spot, I had a, a bear sneak up behind me from different it's i'm pretty sure it was the same bear because it happened in about 30 minutes apart um before the sun came up i'm just sitting down against a tree and you know in the dirt waiting for the sun to come up or waiting for gray light and i hear a twig snap off you know quartering behind my right side and so i'm like oh really another twig snap so i turn around and i look and there's this bear kind of coming in you know, just kind of cruising in and he pauses with the, with my headlamp on him and um, I'm still up against the tree. So he can't really see my full outline, but he, he pauses mm-hmm. and then, then he starts walking, you know, walking towards me more. And I'm like, okay. So I mm-hmm. stand up and he bails out of there like a bowling ball, you know, shot out of a cannon. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then 20, 30 minutes later, um, just as it's starting to get light, I hear another twig snap, but again, now it's off my left side and he's there or he it's there it's there again and why (laughs) 
why is a bear that curious about a person <laughs> sitting on the ground in the woods? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, that's a, a big question. There could be all kinds of It was a small bear. It was a young bear. It was a okay. small bear. And so okay. I'm just, I'm assuming that it was just a matter of curiosity. Um, I, I mean, probably, probably some of it is curiosity. Um, you know, there, it, it really just depends. So if, if you're really with like a wild bear, mm-hmm. it could just be curiosity. If you're, if you're near a place that people camp a lot, it could be that, that, that bear knows it might get food from you, you know? Um, yeah. if, if you're, possible. there are, yep. There are cases <laughs> of, um, black bears attacking and eating people when, when most of the time when black bears attack people, it is predacious, um, to eat people. So, um, you know, it, there's always that possibility. Um, and, and that's then like I think lightning that, um, striking though. That's incredibly rare. Oh, super. Oh yeah. For, for the amount of people that operate in and around black bear country, it's extremely yeah. rare, but yeah. it does happen. Like yeah, I've, yeah. I've met people that have been attacked by black bears. It, it, it does happen. Huh. Um, and more, I think more frequently than people realize. And usually it is predacious. Um, if you're, if you, you should definitely read Stephen Herrero's book, um, bear attacks, um, okay. and how to avoid them. I think bear attacks, their causes and avoidance, Stephen Herrero, best my book wife can't about, listen to this um, podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's all good, man. I mean, we're more likely, we're more likely to, to hyperextend a knee or twist an ankle, you know? Right. Yeah. Crash your car on the freeway. Um, way more likely. Um, but and and I think it's important too to to consider that um the possibility that bears you know like we're like I work for a Native American tribe mm-hmm. and they don't hunt bears because they consider them their ancestors. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important to consider this possibility that the the bears are coming to commune with you maybe. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. that's why I was approaching you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um I, I I love to be open to that um yeah. interpretation of the world, you know? Yeah. So um I don't know. I don't know why, man. Maybe yeah. you were sitting right where it wanted to be, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. man, why is this person sitting there? That's that's where I want to go. That's my spot. <laughs> that's where I bed down. Yeah. yeah. Well I think yeah. if it, it may have been the same bear that came in a day or a two days before or it may have been the weekend before that, that came into within about 20 feet of me during the day. And I, I, I called it in, um, I'd seen about a hundred yards away. And then I, I started squealing on a, like a, you know, rodent call or something like that. And it, Oh yeah. And I thought I could see where it would approach. And then, um, I heard a twig snap and I came around the tree and I was like, Oh, you're right there. Like you're, you're, in, you're right there 20 feet in front of me. And, and, and it was the size of like my dog and I'm like, okay, I can't shoot mm-hmm. you. Um, and mm-hmm. so we just kind of hung out and stared at each other for, um, you know, like you said, five seconds, but it felt like a couple minutes. And then finally, oh, cool. he, finally he bailed out. Um, so maybe he just, yeah. maybe he thought I, I still had that dead, that, dead that, that, that dying rat, <laughs> <laughs> that dying yeah, rabbit that, sure that, that I was teasing <laughs> it with the, you know, prior, so, but it, it became, it became unsettling to me the second time it, it came in behind me and, you know, under, you know, when it was almost dark, like the, the one time right, I get, right. like you're just cruising through the yeah. woods and you didn't win yeah. me and maybe you right. smelled a granola bar, but I stood up. So you shouldn't come back. 
And then when it came back, right. I was like, Oh, what the heck? Like what? <laughs> like yeah. really? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, and, um, yeah. And I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna hunt bears or track them, um, mm -hmm. you do need to be prepared for, for close encounters, um, like that. Um, so, you know, if it, if it helps to, to carry bear spray, you know, you, you could do that. Um, or carry a big stout stick or, or, um, learn yeah. bear body language and, and, and try to dissuade the situation that way. Um, one time when I was hunting up in my spot here, the wilderness area, um, I was ambush hunting. So I was sitting on trails, right. Um, I, I just kind of created a little seat with some logs and rocks and I was hiking in, it was a, uh, a it was a new moon. So it was totally pitch black dark mm. and I was walking up this steep hill and I had to go through all this um, oak brush to get up to the head of this little seep where, where the trails were crossing it, right? And I could hear bears um, feeding in the oak brush in the dark. And so I was trying <laughs> to avoid, um, I was trying to avoid these two bears that were feeding and, and trying to avoid them. I stumbled into this other bear and from from a couple feet away with, with like no warning, this bear just starts <gasps> you know, oh, wow. woofing at me out of, out of the pitch black. And, and I, I jumped out of my skin. I said, screw the deer and just started yelling. I'm a person. I'm a person. Yeah. The woods exploded with bears. And, um, I didn't see any deer that day. <laughs> yeah. 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 Takes a yeah, while so for the exciting. art to stop pumping after that. Yep. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting and fun, and um, yeah, That's they're cool. cool animals. Very yeah. cool, very cool. Well, um, I uh, I really appreciate you uh, you sharing so much, and and for those of you that want more, I'm uh, I'm going to guide you to the book because we scratch like he said the introduction we got into that story, but what we just barely scratched the surface of of techniques and tactics and strategies and experience um that's in, in the book um so thank you you know thank you for for doing that i'm just i'm so happy that i got um who was it, it was uh jack it was jack yeah jack harrison yeah um jack yeah. jack harrison survival on instagram who's like you gotta talk to this guy and um i'm just i'm so lucky that that there, there, there is a place where social media does magical things and i think that's that's a good example of it so, um, appreciate the intro. Thank you, Jack and, uh, Preston, I appreciate your time and, and your willingness to share a little bit about what, what us new, newer and developing hunters can do. And I think the perspective that we're always, we're always learning, like you, you yourself are still learning, I think helps everybody feel like, you know, if they're not, uh, if they don't harvest per se, you know, on a, on a specific hunt, it's, they can, they can come away with having learned, learned more. And, um, yeah. I think that's the, I think that's the best part of the process. So it's, uh, yeah. it's fascinating yeah, stuff sure. and, and bears are certainly fascinating animals, um, to, to, you know, hunt, observe, learn, enjoy, et cetera. Yeah, I agree, Mike. Um, I agree. Thanks for having right on. me on. It's yeah. Thank you. And, uh, we'll maybe check in, maybe we'll check in in the, in the fall and, and see how each of our, each of our respective seasons go. 
And uh, I'm going to let you know if uh, if I go out and do some some snow, some fresh snow tracking. I'm going to I'm going to take you with me mentally and we're going <laughs> to cool. we're going to track some we're going to track down a big, big boar in the snow. And uh, and then I'm going to share it with you. <laughs> I'll tell you all okay, about cool. it. I look, I look forward to it. So. All right. Cool. Uh, Preston Taylor uh, tracking the American black bear. Everybody go uh, check it out. Uh, give it a look and um, definitely put it into your, your library of knowledge and experience to, to help you do better out there in the woods. Okay. Well, that is a wrap on episode eight of the hunting ain't easy podcast. And Preston was a great guest. Um, I'm just lucky to sit here and get to ask some questions and share some stories and, and really soak up and absorb so much information uh, from these guests. And so I think that's, um, if, if I'm learning, hopefully you're learning as well as you listen into these, these conversations. And um, Preston is a fascinating guy. Um, he's, a, he's a professionally trained and educated uh, biologist who's working in the field of, of elk and, and deer biology right now but obviously passionate about other wildlife in the woods and tracking and uh, incredibly knowledgeable about black bears. And so um, we could have gone down all kinds of different paths and, and spent many hours discussing uh, habitat, of course, deer and elk in California, which hopefully I'll have him back sometime to, uh, to talk about those big game species and, and their, their issues and opportunities and what we can do to support uh, elk and deer in the state. Um, he also, you may have caught that he is a stick bow or traditional bow hunter, which means uh, he's using traditional archery equipment, um, you know, recurve, longbow type. Uh, I think he said he uses a self bow, which means he's using a bow that he has crafted himself from a piece of wood, which makes it even more interesting and challenging. And so there's a whole nother layer there that we could have gotten into and that we probably will someday. Um, if you pick up his book and I encourage you to do that, uh, tracking the American black bear. Um, it's actually two books. Uh, the first half of it is focused on black bears and black bear habitat, uh, habits, behavior, and tracking them, uh, both for sport and also for, for hunting. Uh, and then the second half of the book is focused on his traditional archery uh, practice. And uh, I haven't even really scratched the surface on that. That's that part of the book yet. But uh, if you're interested in hunting at all and habitat and wildlife and, uh, you know, traditional methods that, that are going to challenge you, I would say, you know, pick it up for the first half of the book and then continue on into the second half to really um, get it, get a, get get a view into what traditional archery is all about and uh, you may be inspired to to pick up a stick bow yourself and and you know with that you have to get so close to the animals um and so you know with a compound bow most of us are probably you know our, our safe hunting range is is maybe 40 to 50 yards um, i know some people shoot out quite a bit further than that but with the traditional archery equipment you're talking getting in five to 25 yards uh, within, within range of the animals. So just about close enough to where you could reach out and touch them. Um, so that wraps it on episode eight of the hunting ain't easy podcast. Uh, thank you for listening in. 
uh, I encourage you to go out and get that book um, from Preston Taylor. It is on Amazon, so you can find it there. You'll have it in your hands in a couple days and uh, just in time to brush up on your, your skills and knowledge for the upcoming bear season. Uh, we'll be coming out with another episode here in the next uh, several days, at least once a week. And when the bear series is done, we will start focusing on deer hunting and all things deer as it will be uh, deer season throughout the state here very soon. Uh, stay active, continue your practice, whether it's shooting or archery, and make sure you're out there in the woods doing some scouting to prepare for the season. Thanks for listening.